Now, if you watch that scene, the friction that is going on in Nittis's head is expressed purely by the fact that he cannot light that cigarette. And it says everything you need to know about him in that scene. It says frustration. It's that he doesn't want to hear what he's hearing, right? And so that, you know, as I said, you know, that that to me uh, was a very well-known screenwriter who said it, but he said character is action. You, you, You can tell an awful lot of who someone is. You don't have to describe the emotion. You just have to get them to do something, and that will relay that back obviously visually on a movie, and, and I try to do it in, in, in the book. JCV Art Studio. My name is Joanna, and for first-time listeners, I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. Today, I have from the Republic of Malta, which is an island country in the European Union. I had to look that up, but today I have Mark Grenside with me. Hello. Hi, Mark. Your island to my island. (laughs) Hi. Yeah, mine's slightly smaller than yours. We're about one-tenth the size of Rhode Island. Oh, really? Okay, okay. So let us I'm going to tell the listeners a little bit about you. Um, you were born and raised in London, and Mark began his career at Lloyd's of London, specializing in kidnap, ransom, and extortion insurance. There's a novel, there's novels just in, in that type of occupation right there. Um, At 25, Mark decided he was going to change his career, and he started a media career working for Jim Henson and the Muppets. He has been involved in entertainment ever since. He is an award-winning producer, producing television series and miniseries such as Lonesome Dove, Merlin, Treasure Island, Fraggle Rock, and that's just to name a few. He's appeared at the renowned Oxford Literary Festival, the Malta Malta Book Festival, and he was just recently interviewed by Crime Writers of Canada author A.J. Devlin. There's so much to say about Mark and his achievements, which will be revealed in this podcast. Today, we are going to talk about his critically acclaimed thriller novel, Fallout. It's available worldwide. Barnes and Noble, Indigo, Amazon, you, you just in your in your bookstores. Mark, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Well, I'll try and live up to that. 
And, and, and if I can't, I'll make it up anyway, and you'll never know the difference. <laughs> well, it's it's a pleasure, and it's an honor to be able to interview you today. So, well, yeah. thank you very much for having me on. Good, good. Now, Fallout, it's your debut novel, and when I was reading it, the words epic and saga came to mind. It spans years, cultures, the reader travels around the world with our protagonists. I even got to go to the Cannes Film Festival, which was really cool. Um, so let's get the standard question out of the way before we dig down. Um, can you tell the listeners what Fallout is about? Sure. It's a, uh, it's a thriller that starts off and is ostensibly set in the film industry. It's about uh, the story of a writer who completes... Uh, his latest screenwriting writer, uh, but instead of getting it out um, to the agents and to the studios, he sends it to five very specific people. And after he has done that, quite quickly, he is murdered. And the five people are only connected by working on a movie that stopped shooting 25 years before. And eventually, one of them, who's a producer, works out that there are clues in his screenplay that actually tell them what happened to the movie that stopped shooting 25 years ago. So the background is film and television, which I know a little bit about. Yeah. Uh, the actual MacGuffin, which I don't want to go in too much, is nothing to do with uh, film. It's probably one of the greatest uh, acts of thievery in the last century. Yeah. And... Uh, it's essentially all true. In fact, most of the elements of the book are true, whether it's referring to Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Apocalypse Now in the Philippines, where some of the movie takes place, the Cannes Film Festival. You talked about um, the apartment um, where uh, a, a murder takes place in a swimming pool, which has a glass wall that comes down so you can see into the pool from the floor below, that was my apartment that I hired during uh, the TV festivals. In fact, in the film festival, it was taken by New Line. Um, so a lot of the things that you read, you may or may see the story itself is, is made up, but nearly everything surrounding it is true, whether it's how you finance movies, yeah. whether it's what stars and people behave like and what they do, or what happens during a shoot. Wow. And it's a kind of cross between... I suppose, get shorty in the Da Vinci Code. It's full of clues and, and, and hopefully full of twists, not one, but several, yeah. uh, as you go through the novel. And as you say, it goes to a lot of places. I, I was very lucky. I've been to 120 countries, which I saw the other day was more than the Queen. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, so I have a pretty in-depth knowledge out of that 120 of at least 50 of them. Yeah. Um, which I've shot in or I've worked in or everything else. And I, I brought that into the book because I think it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's nice to bring people to places, you know, LA, Cannes Film Festival, people may know about, but there are some other aspects and places that we visit that less people have been to and I've been yeah. lucky enough to go to. Yeah. Because it, because it, like you said, it is based on a true scandal, right? Like with yeah. a, Wow, wow. A trillion, a trillion dollar robber. Jeez. And if people want to check out the swimming pool you mentioned, <laughs> it is on your website, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's 61 La Croisette. Um, yeah, it's there. Cool. Okay, okay. In fact, uh, the house belonging, there are two key characters, a guy who's a producer and a woman who actually has made her career out of building stands and organising, and her house in Cam belonged to uh, a great friend of mine who sadly has died, but yeah. uh, his wife, his widow is still alive and his daughter is my goddaughter, but it's their house. Okay. They're not involved in it, but it's their house. Okay, okay. So I never, this may reflect poor me on me, but I did not know the history of the Philippines, okay? And the bibliography at the back of this novel, um, it's intriguing just to read it. Um, you know, there's reference, You all the references are listed. Asian loot, unearthing the secrets of Marcos, Yamashita, and the gold. To note, um, then there's notes, the making of Apocalypse Now, you know, Eleanor Coppola. Balasong. Okay, the lethal art of Filipino knife fighting. And I was just, it's was so the culture that I learned about. So thinking of what the inspiration for this novel was, did the novel grow to become what it became as you were doing research? Or right from the very beginning, did you know this is how this story was going to unfold? Um, uh, I, I brought some of the discipline from filmmaking yeah. to writing it. Yeah, okay. Uh, as you kindly said in the introduction, there are actually three timelines going on. Um, the way to do that is to write each of them in a linear fashion. Okay. And then if you're doing a screenplay, essentially what you do is you usually have a big blackboard in your room and you pin up the actual scenes on a blackboard and then you start moving them around that's 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 how you do it essentially um so what you do is when you have various timelines is you write them linear yeah. and obviously you've got to make sure that when you break them up and you interject them with other timelines that you don't give any plots away or anything else so um but the book to give a, 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 a the similarity to making a movie most movies are broken down into what they call the three-act paradigm the first act is usually spans over any period of time and sets up the story. The second act is usually the bulk of the movie and it compresses down, the time frames get tighter. And the third act is the denouement, which is nearly all in present time. And that's how this works. And that's how all movies work until Tarantino came along and he took the scene one of act one of the first paradigm in Pulp Fiction with the honey bunny bits in the in the restaurant and he stuck it at the end. So he was the first person to, to, to play around with that. But no, I, 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 I had an idea what the story was going to be, yeah. but I kind of discovered it in a slower way than you did as I was writing it. And, and um, I kept in the back of my head always, not all the time, but what's the least expected thing? Yeah that the reader would think of would happen now. And that's what usually drove the story on. Okay. I get, I get that. Yeah. I, I have that comfort. Okay. Not that I talk to myself, but I have that conversation when you're working, you're like, okay, would they expect this? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. Cause I know with dealer's child, there are scenes that happen in the sixties. Yeah. 
And um, even though I have all white hair, I was, I did not, I was not a, I was a toddler. I didn't even go to school yet in the 60s. Okay. Uh, I, I saw the Beatles. So. <laughs> oh, cool. Cool. I, did, I saw the Beatles. And the backup band was Eric Clapton and Alvin Lee and Jimmy oh. Page and the Yardbirds. Can you believe that? That was the backup band. Jeez. Jeez. So, well, I know when I wrote the scenes in the 60s, I wrote all the scenes in the 60s. Like I turned on music from the 60s yeah. and that was everything was in the 60s. And then I then stepped out of all those scenes and moved into, okay, the present day scenes. So, yeah. okay, okay, cool. All right. So, you know, I tell my friends and my fellow authors that I write in scenes or I have pictures, okay? And... Uh, well, I, I love movies. You do, yeah. Pardon me? I said, yes, you do. I mean, yeah. I've read some extracts of what you've done. Yes, okay. you do. You write scenically, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I absolutely love going to the, uh, the theater and watching movies on that big screen. Um, love it. Your years as a producer, you mentioned this in one of the earlier questions, you know, working on miniseries. Um, you must have taken that experience that just must have just slipped right in there when you were writing fallout like how you yeah, I mean, I think it or? yeah no i think there are three things that 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 if you come from the film or tv making side kind of stick with you as a writer yeah. the first thing is you know i i hope i write quite filmically um, and, but you need discipline when you describe something. You know, if you've got two adjectives, that's probably an adjective too many. So, and that's very much what the camera does when it's showing you a shot. You don't, you don't pan everything. You don't do sweeping shots of everything. You concentrate on one piece and that piece informs you as to, the, as to your surroundings. So that came into play when I was doing description. The next thing is 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 the actual scenes themselves. When you're making a movie, you know the what you try and do is come into the scene as late as possible. Okay. And I try not all the time, but most of the time, I try and come into the scene when it's already started. Uh, but you can tell what's being discussed either because you've telegraphed it before because you're saying they're going to meet, or you understand what's being discussed by the dialogue as it's going along. That's a very good thing. Um, and the third thing, of course, is dialogue. I work with dialogue a lot. And, and I think writers, when they're starting, uh, it's a common mistake to write dialogue. Yeah. Dialogue is not written. It is spoken. Mm -hmm. And the number of times you read a book and you go, no, nobody would speak like that. Yeah. They, they don't speak like that. So I think that, and then I think there's a, it's a cliche in, in my business, but character is action. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Character is action. You don't need uh, very much to understand uh, the dynamics of a scene if it's expressed by character. And let me give you a really good example of this. In yeah. Chinatown, there's a scene in Chinatown when Jake Nitties, uh, the Jack Nicholson character, is sitting in a car with Faye Dunaway at the end, and she is explaining to him that Noah 
uh, you know, uh, uh, the old man who's her father is also the father of her child and everything else. And the whole thing is coming out. Now, Nicholson, when they were doing that scene, said, I need something. And what he actually does is he takes a cigarette mm-hmm. and he can't light it. Okay. Now, if you watch that scene, the friction that is going on in Nittis's head is expressed purely by the fact that he cannot light that cigarette. And it says everything you need to know about him in that scene. It says frustration. It's that he doesn't want to hear what he's hearing, yeah. right? And so that, you know, as I said, you know, that that to me uh, was a very well-known screenwriter who said it, but he said character is action. You, you, you can tell an awful lot of who someone is. You don't have to describe the emotion. You just have to get them to do something, and that will relay that back obviously visually on a movie and, and I try to do it in, in, in the book. But those are tricks, I suppose. Um, I should say, by the way, that I was incredibly used to screenwriting. So now, now having gone through this, I'm going to have to write apologies to all the writers that, 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 that I work with. And I would say things like, look, this scene isn't working. Can you just, can, can we just rewrite it and just change it a bit? And can you get it back to me in 20 minutes? Uh, uh, but, uh, um, but no, yeah, no, I've got huge. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just playing at writing, really. Um, although I enjoy it, but uh, yeah, so there are qualities that 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 I I bring. I'm not saying I'm unique in this. Well, it's that scene you describe with Jack Nicholson that watch is, it again. Yeah, and that's get it, get it on YouTube and watch it. Yeah, then you. Why it's such a brilliant scene and why it clarifies that character as action. Moment. Okay. It's okay. really good. And he and apparently, I've never worked with Nicholson, but, but, but apparently it was his idea to do that. Okay. Well, it, it's that example of show, don't tell with your writing, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're going to talk about characters. Okay. And one of the things I like when I read a book is it's not only the protagonist that I'm I don't want to say that I'm rooting for the bad guy, but it's just, it's not only the protagonist. Like if your characters are are so well done, okay. You know, we have Marcus Riley. He's trying to stay alive. He's trying to uncover the murder. He's ultimately, he knows he wants to produce this script, but I was also intrigued by the, the, I'll call it the supporting cast. Um, And correct my pronunciation here. Is it, Haribon? Uh, Haribon Ginto, yeah. yeah. Haribon actually means an eagle. Okay. He's great. He's yeah. he's uh, he's neither one thing nor the other. Oh, he, Jonathan. He's, he's honest, but he's not a fanatic. Yeah. And then there's <laughs> Jonathan and Raphael, and um, you just sink into who these characters are. So... Were there any surprise characters when you were writing that just you were like, nope, I may have thought about killing you off, but that's not happening, <laughs> right? Uh, no, really. Uh, I mean, I tried to do a two-hander because Marcus's partner is this woman that eventually they, they form a relationship called Mako, who is a very independently-minded uh Euro-Chinese woman, incredibly educated, and her character flaw, for one of anything, is, for certain reasons I'm not going to go into because it's part of the plot, 
she lives very much for the moment. She doesn't believe in anything in the future or the past. It's right now is the only thing that matters. Marcus, on the other hand, is very much about thinking about the future and actually doesn't pay attention to the present. So they two, those two play off each other and they help each other's character as the story goes along. And that's what you try and do in relationships is you need one person to bring out the good thing in somebody and the other person to bring out the good or, or bad. I mean, it depends on what kind of relationship that you're trying to do. So I try to make it a two-hander. Uh, it's definitely not a Holmes and Watson relationship. She's as smart as he is. She's my favourite character in the book, actually. But, but she is as smart as he is, and she definitely brings out something in him that was not there at the beginning of the book. And she equally, her hard edge because of what has happened to her is worn down by Marcus at the end. And they're also funny. Yeah. Um, they have, I think, quite a whip crack dialogue between the two of them, kind of like the Third Man series all those years ago. So that I enjoyed. Yes, I enjoyed having characters that are black and white. Yeah, Jonathan, as you said, is, is, is pretty much a bad guy. Louis McConnell, who's an agent, which if anybody works in our business, the agents are always the bad guys, is <laughs> uh, pretty much a bad guy. The rest of the characters are shades. Yeah, okay. Uh, and there are quite a lot of them. Somebody said to me how many characters there are in the book, which scared the publisher. Um, it's actually, that's um, that now some other people are copying me. I put a cast list at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And with a brief line underneath it, who they were. And yeah. a lot of readers I know came back to me and said, that was so useful yeah. to have a cast list. Yeah. So until I really got into it, I could quickly go back and say, oh, that guy is this, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of characters and the book I'm working on now has got even more um, and, I, and I, I'm permanently trying to cut them back. But uh, I, I like to, I like, you know, I like to have an ensemble. Life is about ensembles. If you, if you do movies just about one good guy, one bad guy, it becomes very one-dimensional and a bit boring until one kills the other. You know, that's yeah. always great. Well, it also, I think, shows this expanded world. Like you said, it's not just one character or, or, or five characters. There's this whole world which these people interact with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. In the world, you know, people on the whole. Yeah. You know, most people are good, some are bad, but there's an awful lot in, in between. Yeah. yeah. So he's honest, but he's not a fanatic. Oh, good. So we're talking about characters, and I mentioned about Harabon and Jonathan and Raphael. And these guys, I mean, they kind of have, and correct me if I'm wrong, these rags to riches backstory. Um, and it's not just the men. There's Harabon's mother, Conchita. Yeah. And these characters are struggling. They're, they rise up from their environment. And I guess that's what really resonated with me. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was wondering why, why did you want to show what these men are like and what they are, they're trying to rise up above? Well, I, I, listen, I'm always, you know, my, my other hat, whether you're a, filmmaker or a dabble in other businesses is, you know, a filmmaker is the ultimate entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay? 
And people don't understand if you're an entrepreneur, you don't have to bat 100%. You just have to bat 51 By the very nature of that, whether you're making movies or TV shows, some work, some don't. Yeah. Uh, some work for reasons that you knew bloody well at the beginning, but some don't for reasons that are just beyond you yeah. uh, and you don't understand. And because of that, you're resilient. And, you know, you, you mentioned because, yes, they come from uh, humble backgrounds, although Haribon actually came from quite a wealthy background and then crashed and then yeah. built himself up again. Marcus comes from a very privileged background, but he decided to turn his back on a life of the city of London and struck out alone and, and much to the horror of his parents, although that doesn't come into the story, yeah. uh, you know, he struck out in the film industry and, and people like that fascinate me. Yeah. I, I like people who, who can look at, you know, defeat and victory and see that they're both pretty shallow uh, um, uh, and there's a very thin line between the two of them. Yeah. You know, you've got to be placing the bets at the craps table, not leaning over the, somebody else's. And, and those characters, they, they just, they just, uh, I just find them interesting. Yeah. And, and okay, I've got to ask, if you could please repeat, you're saying you've got to be placing the bets at, on the crap table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the guy who said it best was Teddy Roosevelt, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's not the people. Hang on, I've got to, I've got to try and remember it now. Thing. Yeah, it's not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbled yeah. or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is mud by the dust and sweat and blood, yeah. who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again. That is what these people are about. Yeah. That's okay. Yes. Okay. So Marcus, our protagonist, the film yeah. producer, is he most like you? Oh, he's much smarter and braver than I am. <laughs> and he's much funnier than I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, you know, it's a cliche, but it's true. Right? One of the things you know about is yourself. Um, you obviously twist and shade and everything else, and and uh, you know, and that goes for the book. I mean, I I know my history, I know my art, yeah. Uh, I know movies and uh, all the other stuff. I'm just really good at lying, and <laughs> and and I challenge you to find out which bits of the backstory are true and aren't. In fact, nearly all of it's true. Wow. Even down okay. to the Minotaur Awards, which are the stuntman awards. Um, yeah. And the Nushu language, uh, which is a language that comes into the book that was only understood and written by women in uh, Hunan. Wow, wow. Uh, two or three hundred years ago, it's the first woman's lib language. Yeah. That's all true. See, it's that culture. It's that culture. I just, you sink into that. And yeah, okay. And so, because there are, there are so many gems in this novel um, from the culture. Even, like, there's... I wrote the page number down. It was on page 103, and it was how you set up this scene, okay? And Mark is going, is going to go visit Stefan de Tourist, okay? Um, wow. He's tracking down the fallout script. And just how you set it up, we learned that, you know, Stefan is incredibly wealthy, okay? Just how you set up the, the scene, 
And then when Marcus finally actually sees him, we find Stefan, he's bedridden. And it's, it's to the point where he has numerous tubes attached to his body. Um, there is a nurse and she's putting a few drops of champagne into the water that is being given to Stefan through a baby bottle, a baby's bottle. And that scene just talk to me about it because it got me, you know, just you, you how you set it up. I don't know. That scene, that's purely made up. Uh, although the house that he's in with those wonderful Chinese artifacts, that, that's a split of two houses that I know very well. Yeah, I mean, I knew I wanted him to be incapacitated. Yeah. And I didn't want Marcus to know that. Yeah. And I didn't want the reader to know that. Yeah. Although I was... I was Honest, I did say earlier, I think, that he'd been involved in an accident, a car accident, uh, and seemed to have retired from public life, which he did. But I don't think anybody guessed that he'd be practically comatose. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's a fun scene, that. Well, I'm fun. I mean, you know, it's just, it's one of those, that's an example of what I was talking about earlier. What's the last thing that anybody would expect when you're teed up that he's going to see someone who was involved in that movie 25 years ago in a big way. Right. He was obviously going to try and confront him and boom, yeah. he dies brain dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thinking about setting. Yeah. And uh, I know with myself, I've, I'm i going to be starting each book with a court scene, just from my yeah. experience and yeah. whether yeah. whether the what happens in the courtroom goes in my heroine's favor or not. Yes. Um, I think that's going to be like my thumbprint. The locations in your novel are beautiful. And I was wondering if there is like your, your own backdrop, your own thumbprint that you want a reader. As soon as a reader sees like an MN Grandside book, what is it that you want your reader to expect or identify with? Well, I think there's three things. Okay. I think, firstly, and I'm, I'm not comparing apples and oranges here. I'm just making an easy com- easy comparison so people understand. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Grisham had law as his background, the same way as Dick Francis had horses in the background, my background, my proscenium arch, is always going to be movies or the entertainment industry. Okay. And the stories will always revolve around that. And the two protagonists that we mentioned, Marco, Marcus and Mako, uh, which is her nickname, or Melinda de Turis, are always going to be in it. The MacGuffin is always going to be completely different, nothing to do with the film industry. Yeah. And thirdly, uh, the locations of places that you know and that you don't. So the current one that I'm working on, some of it is set in the Aleutian Islands, which is that chain of uh, islands that string between Alaska and Russia. Yeah. Some of it is going to be in Vancouver. Some of it is going to be in the middle of France, in the middle of nowhere, and a big chunk of it is going to be here in Malta. So people know a little bit about Vancouver. Some of it will be in L.A., actually, um, which people know. I mean, I'm not saying everybody does, but we all know L.A. because we all watch TV, so it doesn't matter (laughs) if you're in, you know, if you're in Harwich or Hong Kong, everybody knows what L.A. looks like. Uh, but very few people know what the uh, Aleutian Islands look like and probably very few know what Malta looks like. So that's the mix. 
Yeah. You know, films, uh, a MacGuffin that hopefully you'll never guess, uh, and and a mixture of uh, locations that you go, oh, I've never been there. Yeah, cool, cool. So I'm just wondering whether, see, the, one of the things that was, I don't want to say a game changer for me when I started writing, yes. I'll never forget when I spread Da Vinci Code from Dan Brown and I saw actual photos of what he was writing about. Yeah. I was wondering if that's something you and your publisher could work out because I would love to see the actual photos. They're on the website. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. (laughs) They're on the website. The boat's on the website. The car is on the website. The house is on the website. A lot of the scenes uh, from Apocalypse Now, the locations are on the website. Um, I did, uh, you know, Unfortunately, uh, you know, I was a first-time writer and it wasn't to be. Um, but I, because I use reality as much as I can, I'd love to have photographs in my books. Yeah. Because yeah. then you're reading it and you go, I really can't tell the line between what he's saying is fiction and what it is is fact. I mean, obviously in the first book, the characters and everything's uh, are, uh, are fiction, although some of them are based on real people, but if I told you I'd get sued. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's that, but all the other information that weaves through the book, yeah. it should be impossible to tell what's right, what's fiction and what isn't. And that's a kind of trait I'd like to keep to. Um, it's quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just had to, now I had a scene in a... Uh, in a sake bar in Vegas, don't ask why, and they're sitting at a table in this bar, and I decided it was going to be uh, a table with from 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 the game Go, you know, with all the little squares on it. Yeah, I spent a day reading back Go and all the ins and outs of it for a couple of lines in a scene. Yeah, but you have to do that. You do. You have to get it right. Yeah. Because if you don't, somebody will ring you up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I really do. I hope, if if not the next book, that... Because I love when you're reading fiction and you know it's based on reality, but like you said, you don't know where the line is. Like, that line is totally blurred. I love those types of novels. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's very kind of you. I'm glad you... Uh... I'm glad you enjoyed it. And, and yeah. as I said, if I would get off my backside and get on with it, um, the second halfway through, and I have the idea for the third one in my head. So good. we'll good. see what happens. Yeah. It'd be so nice you're... if we got options and they'll make some real money. But, you know, <laughs> having been a producer, I know the, 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 the conversion rate of options to reality yeah. is very low, but... You know, we'll see what happens. Well, I have to say, I had so many questions to ask you. And one of them was, so when's the movie coming out? <laughs> I was honestly, I'm like, now. <laughs> Sorry, when did I what? When does, when does the movie Fallout coming out? That was, uh, was- <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I hope okay. soon. Yeah. There's a, big check, there's a big check attached to it when it, when it does, which would be very nice. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Uh, I, I, I'm not giving up anything that I do normally. I still race cars, jump out of airplanes and do all that stuff. And um, 
I still pursue new businesses all the time. So I don't think I'm going to get old and crusty. So uh, as long as I keep swinging from for, for the for the beaches beaches, um, then I'll be fine. And and the next novel I hope will be as much fun. Yeah, good, good. I was on your blog and another thing. Yeah, yeah. And you've been a writer for a while. Yeah. And looking at your life experiences. So I'm just going to list them here. You've worked for Jim Henson and the Muppets. You're a producer of TV series and mini series. That tells me you have a passion for storytelling and stories. Yeah. You've arranged, and this is all for the, so the listeners know this is all on your website. You've arranged the 250 million buyout of the Hallmark Channel, which was then sold to NBC. You're a serial entrepreneur, co-founder of the Sea to Shelf CBD producer Dragonfly Biosciences. And when I was watching AJ Devlin's interview, you had said you type with two fingers. And I was wondering, what is it about writing that appeals to you? I think there's two. I think if you come from a collaborative background, which making movies is, yeah, uh, it's it, unless you're super super successful, uh, the older you get, the grumpier you get about collaboration. Whereas <laughs> if you write a book, you've got your it's yo-yo, isn't it? You're on yeah. your own, and yeah. you only have yourself to blame. So that's one of the attractions. I'm I'm actually deep down a movie maker inside, so. I actually don't enjoy the process of writing. Okay. I love the process of rewriting. Oh, okay. Um, and I find that that's what holds me up. That's why I don't write incredibly quickly because when I get into writing something, I'll write the first draft. It'll be of a scene or a chapter. It'll be terrible. Yeah. What I'm doing is I'm just I'm just sort of regurgitating thoughts in my head and just putting them down on a piece of paper and it's painful for me to write it because I know it's it's bad yeah the good bit is when you get to the end of that and you go back and then you know then it's words so your craft then you're 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 continually taking this big lump of clay that doesn't really look like anything and and that's when you turn it into something great and that I I really enjoy okay yeah but the physical first bit of writing is yeah. like nails down a blackboard yeah okay so i call that the first draft the porridge draft okay oh. <laughs> it's it's lumpy and it's just it's not edible okay no, <laughs> okay so my favorite question as we're yeah. winding things up here yeah it's may you were at the Cannes film festival yeah. and marcus riley bumps into you what would he say what would he say to me or what would I say to him? What would he say to you and what would be your response? Uh, he would probably say to me, what car have you got now? Oh. <laughs> and I would probably say to him, not as nice as the Maserati um, uh, Mistral Spider that you've got. Because okay. he's a petrol head and so am I. So mm-hmm. I don't... I, I, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, and that's why I gave you that slightly trite answer. And by the way, I hadn't thought of an answer um, before you asked me, which yeah. is why I always say, 
But the reason, the truth of the reason that is this, and one of the, the problems of living in Los Angeles is you can spend your entire time talking about movies. Yeah. And when I lived in LA, I lived with a great friend of mine who's a very successful writer, Australian writer. Actually, it's who the Australian writer who gets killed at the beginning of the book is based on. You okay. see? There's, there's reality all over the place. Anyway, he and I, when we were young and we were starting out, uh, we shared an apartment in uh, Marina del Rey. Yeah. And uh, we used to, before we went out for a dinner party or a drinks party, we used to take a dictionary, flick it open, and just blindly stab a word. Okay. Whatever that word was, not only did we have to bring it up at the dinner party or whatever, we had to see how long it was before somebody else took that word and used it in reference to a movie and a film. Oh, really? It could be the most absurd word you've ever heard of, right? But somebody will twist that into being something to do with it. And we used to sit there and just laugh, you know, because when I say if Marcus met me as a producer and we knew each other, actually, because we're not Angelinos born and bred, the last thing you talk about is... The movies. And I'll give you one, if you've got a second, I'll give you one great example from a partner friend of mine who I worked with for a very, very long time, yeah. who was a Emmy Award-winning producer. Very, very successful. Yeah. But he had a house out in uh, Aspen, yeah. and he used to go to the local sawdust on the, saw, on the floor uh, barbecue restaurant a lot. Yeah. And they had no idea who he was. Yeah. They had no idea who he was. Anyhow, uh, one day... Uh, he was working on a, uh, eventually became a project with Kevin Costner. Okay. So he asked Kevin to meet him at this restaurant. So Kevin comes in, sits down, the waitress come over and she goes, gee, Robbie, said your friend looks just like Kevin Costner. <laughs> so Robbie goes, nah, nah. Kevin's much more handsome than he is. And look, he's losing his hair and he's, he's putting on weight. So the waitress <laughs> takes the order and goes away, comes back. Yeah. Gives them their food. And she says, yeah, he really, really looks just like Kevin Costner. Robbie says, come on, you know me. What the hell do I know about Kevin Costner? Because she's no idea what he does, right? Yeah. So eventually this goes on all the way through the meal until till the check comes. Yeah. Kevin leans over when she brings the check, says, let me do this. And he took out his credit card, put it in the, you know, in the little uh, envelope thing or whatever you call them that you have yeah. the bill at the restaurant. She picked it up, took it away, and then she screamed. <laughs> <laughs> when she took out the credit card with his name on it. <laughs> oh, See, dear. Oh. That is what people should do in our industry. Instead of too many would say, yes, of course it's Kevin Costner. He's my friend. Would you like to take a picture of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was a great, like, there are so many stories. And like I said, it was hard to, it was hard to come up with questions because I wrote questions and then I took some out because I wanted to make you, I wanted to make sure we focused on your novel, right? Well, that's fine. Yeah. So people check out Mark's website for sure. Okay. Okay. www.mngrensidegrenside.com. Mngrenside, all one word. Because and there are lots of stories on there that'll make you smile, I hope, from Steven Spielberg to Frank Sinatra to, I don't know, all sorts. Yeah. 
I, I actually, my favorite was the um, Frank Sinatra story with Max Factor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure he dined out on that, Frank, for a long time. But anyway. So when's the next book coming out? Well, it's hot as Hades here at the moment. So I, 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 I really got to get stuck in now. I'm on page about 100 now. And most of my novels are about 350, I think. Yeah. So I'm sort of getting there. I think I'll probably finish it uh, sometime before the end of the year. So hopefully next year sometime, end of next year. Excellent. Okay. Well, if this wasn't too terrorizing of an experience, I would, would enjoy having you come back on. Oh. <laughs> so well, It would be an absolute delight. And it's very, very gracious of you to ask this limey uh, from the other side of the Atlantic to join you. Uh, mm. Joanna, you, you've got tremendous credits and... You've had some fantastic people on, and, and I'm very, very touched that you asked me. It was very kind of you, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, folks, jcvartstudio.net. This is where you can find this podcast, and I'm seeing in my analytics, people are going to the website. I get analytics telling me if you're listening to this on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, it's so thank you. And thank you, Mark. And uh, Mark, yeah. hey, have a good evening, okay? Oh, yeah. Well, now I've got to do some cooking now, which is my other hobby. <laughs> it's good. All right. Okay, Mark. Okay. Bye. See you.